Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Office Hour Media Network. We're bridging the gap between college students and professors through engaging interviews with top-rated instructors who are recommended to us by their students. Today, we'll be speaking with Professor Callie Federhofer, Alan P. Cottrell Collegiate Lecturer and Undergraduate Advisor on the Germanic Languages and Literatures Faculty at the University of Michigan. Professor Federhofer earned a master's in English literature from Middlebury College and a master's at Universität Mainz, where he is also a PhD candidate. Professor Federhofer also serves as an undergraduate advisor um, on the program. Uh, so first, Callie, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we really appreciate your time and perspective. Um, I wondered if you could tell me, I gave a little bit of a brief uh, introduction, but I wondered if you could tell me a little bit more about you um, and your background and anything that you think uh, the listeners should know. Well, so I've been, thanks so much, Noah, for having me here. And, um, and I must admit, this is not scripted. I don't even know what is coming of it, why they said yes. And um, so I've been working at the University of Michigan since actually 1993. Um, where I came as an ex doctoral ex PhD exchange student um, in, I had to teach English 125 for one year. And then the English department sent somebody out to Germany, you know, to also teach English in Germany. But I also had to teach English at U of M. And I've been working since then the following year, I mean, since 1994, I've been in the German department. Um, as a lecturer, as you um, correctly said, and I have been also advising students, department advisors since 1999. I came before the internet basically came. Um, I didn't know a whole lot about the Big Ten. I did not know anything about a rivalry between Michigan and Michigan State. And I have learned my lessons over the years. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. So, I wondered if you could also speak a little bit about, so you mentioned that you you were originally an English instructor here and then made the move into the Germanic languages and literatures department. Um, can you speak a little bit about as to how you decided to take the professional path you've taken um, and what drew you to a career in academia and specifically uh, in the area of Germanic studies? Well, so, you know, I was born in Germany. So Germany is of course my first language um, and I never actually studied German um, in college you could say um, it's just because I speak um, happen to speak the language and what we are doing is we're teaching of course German as a second language and not German at the university studied differently in Germany um, what I found so interesting about it here is actually the connection between undergraduates and um, and the faculty. Um, that's something that I never had um, when I studied in Germany, whereas you may know German universities are free, you don't have to pay tuition. Um, and the negative effect is also you don't have any relation to your instructors. Oftentimes in Germany, I had to give a paper um, in my classes, then there was discussion, then the next person had to give a paper while the professor was there to moderate the discussion, nothing else. Um, and that was instruction that I encountered in Germany while here, and especially when I went to Middlebury, which was um, actually a very small school, I actually learned to, the proximity of having, um, you know, academic conversations with your professors. I also found this fascinating here, um, how much time professors dedicated to the students, how dedicated the students were um, to their studies. And that's something that actually you may say cap 
kept me here. And um, this is something that I would still like to strive to have um, with undergraduates, even though, I mean, it's of course more difficult um, in the times of COVID to um, have this kind of connection. So you spoke about uh, how things have sort of changed a little bit in that regard um, during, during COVID. Um, what has been the biggest difference you've noticed uh, in your interactions with students before COVID and during COVID? And do you think that it's, it has uh, had an impact in a significant way on your relationships individually with students? Well, yes and no, you know, and I'm an advisor. And so a lot of the students in New York can, I think, say you have also as an international studies major some interest in going abroad. Of course, at the moment, we are seeing a lot of students who do not have the international background any longer. Um, the international experience, you know, ours, you were in a year, we couldn't send out students abroad normally with this kind of international impetus background also of incoming students isn't there any longer. You see it in the instruction in high schools, you know, the incoming students in high schools who have to take the placement test, we cannot assume that they're as proficient as they used to be, um, simply because their parents or also their schools didn't have any kind of international programs. So this is something that I just notice in classes, language placements, I also do language placement tests, isn't as strong as they used to be or as high, I don't wanna use the word strong. And this is not the fault of the student um, at all. Um, the connections to undergraduates, um, you are senior, you know, in 2020, when we had to go suddenly um, remote in this day in March, um, Everybody thought it was something new. Zoom was for us a new thing. Some of us used what was called blue jeans um, at the very beginning. And um, we realized this is maybe the best model. Everybody had the camera on. Everybody in March was so this is a new something new. We have to hold it differently. We adopt it very quickly. Now, what you may also see is not everybody is any longer on time when classes start. Some people come three, four, five minutes late. Suddenly we have these Michigan, what used to be our 10 minutes when classes um, started. Um, well, this is, um, you know, people, more and more people leave the camera off. Um, we have changed a little bit here and that's actually a growing distance um, you know we don't want to be seen we know we can turn the camera off or people may not want it even on and so um, that in terms of technology has certainly um, somewhat made us grow apart I would say a little bit um, with also pre-recordings um, that may be the um, I don't want to blame here technology at all. And I think Zoom is a great means. Um, it used to be March, you know, April, maybe also at the beginning of, um, you know, before we all got vaccinated, this was the only means how we could communicate with each other. Now you and your friends communicate, however, you know, you have, you're living probably back here in Ann Arbor, um, but there is a, disconnect to the classes that you have because some of your classes will be remote or have been remote and so to see that happen that your social life is now engaged active again while your classes are not um, so there we are lagging behind and that's something that I um, we don't know how this is going to pan out but there is certainly a growing disconnect. Mm -hmm.
That's a that's an interesting observation because I, I think you sort of hit the nail on the head in regards to um, students in the last year or so still having some level of in-person uh, interaction with one another, whether they're hopefully abiding by guidelines or not, um, while their classes are, are forced to follow the strict rule book. So it's a... Mm -hmm. It's a it's an interesting line to tell. Um, and I can tell you, you know, I live on Elm Street and um, I don't know whether you were a member of Nightmare on Elm Street this past Thursday. So there was a lot of, despite the bad weather, interaction happening. Mm -hmm. and, um, but you don't see it so much in, um, you know, in the well, in the classes I teach actually in person. So but I also have office hours if somebody wanted to have it online. Certainly, I mean, we have it online. So I want to give students several options by the phone in person um, and on Zoom, but um, it's different. Absolutely. Um, so in terms of, you know, the, the want and the desire and the need to engage with classes, what is engaging about the classes that you teach in your words and why should a student take your class oh geez do i have to make a sales pitch for the class now um well you know language classes i teach only language classes even though i teach one class that's sort of english a mini class an overload and um it's the good thing i think about our classes, we are looking here at class sizes and language classes, be that in any language, the advantages, we have a cap of 18 students, a maximum of 18 students. Um, so that alone should encourage a student, you may need a letter of recommendation. You know, it's easiest, easiest actually to get them from a language instructor simply because our classes have more hours, you know, and we get to know you um, personally. Um, so that is a pitch to have um, an instructor, a language instructor, write a class simply because I know during regular conversations also outside of the classroom, I may know more about you than um, maybe if you had in a, let's say, policy in a large lecture class, that's simply harder to get your, um, to get to know your professor. We try to use, of course, in language classes, different media um, forms of engagement with students. And, um, and I generally also more um, accessible simply than if you had um, somebody else. I mean, I try to teach topics that may be of interest for students. Um, I teach, for instance, I mean, just before this meeting, I taught a class on soccer. Um, some of our students are very engaged in sports um, and um, soccer being one of the um, dimensions also with the World Cup coming up. Um, and, you know, this is I want to orient myself more along the interests of the students instead of saying, okay, now I need to teach a German literature class. And, you know, I don't know, you may be reading a book, but reading is something that is done differently now, maybe no longer through books, but maybe through other forms of electronic media. Um, so um, seeing where the student is interested in, what field students may be interested in, and Michigan being a sports university, maybe soccer as the prime sport in Germany may be of interest. Maybe in the long future distance, you know, teaching a class on beer um, would be for German appropriate. Um, and there are universities that offer such classes on not on beer, although there is a university that offers a class on beer. But um, yeah, that's why very interesting. And it's funny that you mentioned the class on soccer because one of our previous interviews was with Professor Markovitz, who oh. 
you had him. Famous for his work on sports. Yeah, absolutely. Andy, great guy. Uh-huh. I took his class uh, my sophomore year. It was it was an amazing experience. The 379 class, I mean, the um, sports politics and society. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Um, so in in this current um, in this current environment and also throughout your time as an instructor, um, you seem to get a lot of joy out of connecting with your students. What would you say is most rewarding about getting to work with students, but also on the same on the same coin side of the on the other side of the same coin? Um, what frustrates you the most about working with students? Well, let's start with the positive, and I think you know every instructor. Um, and I don't say that I'm successful at it, but in order to be a successful instructor, you need to listen. That's the key skill. I don't want to tell the story about myself, which, you know, once you've talked it, uh, you know, five times, it becomes almost boring for you. You think, okay, yeah, that's my life story. But to hear the stories of you, um, and I don't know anything about your story. I don't know where you're from. I don't know why you came to Michigan. I don't know which hopes you had when you came to Michigan and what your disappointments have been in here. But I want to, first of all, listen to a student and say, okay, so what is your situation? Why are you even here? Why are you in my office hour? And, and then, you know, to see, okay, is there anything that I could maybe from my experience connect you with? Um, we don't use the connections that we can make as frequently as, you know, would be possible. When we hear about Michigan grads, um, and I can tell you, I mean, whom do you know as a Michigan grad? Who do I know? I mean, there's obviously there's, there's people in, in the industries I'm interested in, um, mm-hmm. but um, I haven't had, I, I would say, as as great of an opportunity at yeah. school to and get then, Michigan grads. And this is nothing against you. I didn't want to say here, oh, you know, have you connected to people? But I think, you know, we, of course, hear about, let's say, the Tom Brady's of the world. And, you know, and, um, but this is not the people with whom we are getting in contact and you may know some of the schools maybe the business school has a different kind of connection system the networking system we try to do networking and networking is crucial and networking is so difficult now that we had COVID. you know for some people fraternity would be a networking system absolutely some of us use linkedin that is a networking system um but by and itself you know in Alison A which is such an intricate system you know people may ask you oh international studies so what are you doing with international studies what are you doing with a sociology degree and what we tried to do here in our department is for instance to establish you know a kind of I have a a networking system, you know, where it's simply on the Excel sheet where Noah would write, okay, this was what my major is, this is what my minor was, I had a minor in entrepreneurship and a major in international studies. And then, you know, if you were to see, I want to be a peer mentor in the next couple of years, you know, for somebody who's at the moment a sophomore or who at the moment is a first year student who has the same kind of maybe a degree path, then I could say, this is what I did after I graduated. And so we are trying to in the, those students in the last five, six years who graduated and, you know, give them their contact information, let us post what their majors, what their minors are, and then simply what they started doing once they graduated from Michigan. It's only the first step that I'm interested in. In five years, in 10 years, you may be back, you know, you may be back here as a master's, as a PhD student. Fine. Um, but it's only the first step after graduation. So we try to use 
this, you know, to provide our students with some kind of, at the moment it's only existed as an Excel sheet. Hopefully it's going to be in some other kind of format where we let our current students connect with um, students who graduated in the last five years ago and who were friendly enough, I mean, to, um, you know, serve as mentors. Um, so this is a challenge um, as, um, but it's also an opportunity in our students who are graduating gleefully actually make themselves available to current students. That's excellent. And I think, I think the concept of putting, putting that information together in a easily accessible format, um, whether that's the Excel sheet or something else going forward, I know would be an immensely helpful tool to many students. So I'm glad that that's an initiative that uh, the people, people like you are paying attention to. So thank you. Um, so in, in, the, in the world of, of academia, um, I think we, we spoke about here that there's often sometimes too little of a focus um, on what happens next on the world after you graduate, on making connections with those who graduated from your university um, and using that to one's advantage in an increasingly competitive world. What do you think are the secrets to success, not only in college, but when one moves beyond college and into the professional world? The secrets to success are actually to deal with failure. Um, and that's something that I tell in my business class. Um, the key is actually to learn with failure. Um, many of us, or many of you also, you know, who have come here, for some of you, it was the dream school. Um, and um, you are used to being accepted everywhere. Um, and in the life after you graduate from here, you will actually learn to deal with rejection. Um, and rejection isn't a failure actually here, but it's simply, okay, what are you doing with all the no's that you're going to get when you apply for a position or never even hearing back? And we are actually here under this mantra, we also live to be the leaders and the best. We cannot have in, to live in a world simply with leaders. Um, and we will also need followers. And for some of us, it's actually fine to be a follower, but this kind of pressure actually that exists when you always hear, oh, we are the leaders of the best, or oh, we are better than school X, Y, and Z. We shouldn't follow that. Um, we actually have to start out with the ground. And if you don't start out from the ground level, then you can never actually be a leader. Um, and so to come down to that, let's just round ourselves first and, you know, think about where we could start. And this is something, I mean, you had mentioned, what is the major difference and how I came into this profession? I actually did, I worked for Deutsche Bank and, you know, as an investment banker first after I graduated from high school. And I didn't want to be in this field. Um, I also didn't even want to be in teaching. Um, when I was at school, including the universities, I was always at the brink of suspension because I did things that were challenging maybe for some people. I don't want to go into details, but that's what happened in life. And I only started to like teaching after my second or third year here at the university. It took for me some time to adjust to the American model, 
when I had to teach English 125, I remember and don't tell, well, I don't know how public does this thing get? Is this posted worldwide? We're just starting off, but we do have a Spotify page. Um, so Spotify page. Oh, yeah. wow. I didn't even the 1990s. I, when I came, I didn't know what the term syllabus meant. And somebody said then before I had to start teaching, oh, take out your syllabus. And I said, I don't even know what this is. And um, so, um, you know, teaching took for me some time actually to grow into it, to learn what the expectations of students are and what is expected of me. To, and it's going to change. You know, it's, you see this, you talk to somebody um, earlier, I mean, we are using different use of technology in all your classes. Even now, you know, some professors work very proficiently with it. Um, some are averse to any kind of forms. Is this going to stay with us? Um, what are ex your expectations from instructors in the future? Does everybody use um, even Canvas to which extent? Um, that's something um, we'll have to see. Absolutely. Um, so looking looking back on your, your very interesting career arc, your, your time here at Michigan, um, your time um, at other academic institutions, uh, what advice would you give to your younger self at the time you were going through college um, or to an undergraduate today? What, what do you wish that they would know? Um, what advice I would give to myself? Oh, geez. Um, that's a good question. Um, I actually don't regret the way that I had taken. Um, so in terms of advice, um, I experienced a couple of negative elements in my life. Maybe I needed them to um, get something positive out. I mean, what is more key is, I think, for, um, to give to undergraduates. And this is hard because it is simply so open, but you need to be open. And if you talk to your instructors here, how did they end up at Michigan? Um, none of us, I think, really had as a career goal, oh, Michigan is my career goal, to teach at an institution like Michigan, maybe certainly. Um, but um, our events, I mean, we are going such, we are never going in a straight line. And oftentimes when we want to be here as undergraduates, oh, there should be a straight line. For Michigan, the next step would be, and from there I go to, it doesn't happen. It's just, we need to be open to all kinds of accidents um, and accidents will happen. And accidents can be positive, can be exciting. And sometimes it's just one conversation. You were just at the right place to talk to that person that can never be planned. Um, so instead of putting all this kind of pressure, I need to do X, Y, and Z, talk to as many people as you can, um, be open, um, socialize with people, and you will make, um, you will meet people, you will hear about opportunities suddenly, and just um, be adventuresome. Um, don't stifle yourself. I have to get into place X, Y, and Z. And that's the great thing of the American system. You are at a great school um, where you encounter, I think, great people and it will um, come to fruition. Excellent. I would say that that resonates pretty deeply with me as somebody who, um, you know, there, there seems to be this, this framework, as you mentioned, of you go to school, you get this specific job, which will lead you to these specific opportunities. You'll meet these specific people. 
Um, and really, life doesn't doesn't go in such a linear fashion. And wherever you go, you know, you are, you will find a network of Michiganders. And that's the great thing of being at this university. Everywhere there will be alumni clubs, go and join them. And you will find people who are willing to help you if you needed any help. And um, that's also the great thing of being at this school here. Amazing, amazing. Um, so to close, I thought, I thought we could go um, a little bit more back into you. Um, what is something interesting, funny, unusual um, about yourself that people here at Michigan or anyone listening to this podcast might not know that you think that we should know about you? Well, one thing that you may not know, I don't know whether you need to know about it, is actually I'm, I'm in love with endurance sports. Um, and endurance sports actually in love a um, you know 24 bike 24 hour bike rides for instance or bike races that is something that I enjoy um, that's one reason why I'm in Vermont also they have a 24 hour bike race um, in which I participate um, having done an ultra Mar Iron Man. Um, Maybe that's something, it doesn't lead to anything here, but um, endurance sports, that is something I really, really enjoy, especially long bike rides and bike rides through the night, which I don't do in Michigan because thanks to our streets, which are not the best yet. Um, not good. Not, not good. good. Nope. Uh, How did you discover your, your love for endurance sports? It was actually through a friend whom I met in Vermont and we started riding the bikes and, you know, he had once said, okay, you know, let's do a century. And I said, well, you know, if you can do a century, why not do a double century, which led then, okay, we had to leave early, early. And I had once actually it came out of a class project where I thought it would be interesting. I mean, you are, we are, Michigan is accessible 24 seven. And I once said in a, grammar class, um, which was before it was whittled down to 18. I had 24 students and I thought, why not let every student at exactly one particular minute um, take a photo? And so you had to sign up for that, of course. So you would sign up maybe for three o'clock in the afternoon. Somebody else would sign up at seven o'clock in the morning and had students in ROTC, you know, who would sign up for class at, uh, at four o'clock. And so you just wait to be at four o'clock in the morning and to take a photo and write about that. That was just for a class project. So you all had to sign up for a particular time during the day so that we would see what are you doing at four o'clock in the morning, what somebody's doing at six o'clock in the evening. And then we had to put this in a collage together in a, and one 24 hours at the University of Michigan. And you can even see something like that now strangely on our web. And I thought, okay, if I have students go through this, I have to go through this. And so I decided then also, you know, I show you 24 hours in my life as a bike rider and 24 hours wherever I was at three o'clock in the morning at this or at six o'clock in the afternoon. Um, in the evening so i also put this together for the students mm -hmm. very cool all right okay. if you could answer what what has being an endurance bike rider um and taking those long journeys um what has that taught you uh either about yourself or about about life or about the world wow what this has taught me is never give up 
never give up. You come so close to that, um, but you can push through it, if, especially if you have some kind of a partner. I mean, at that time, um, you know, who would go with me through the same process. I know there's a lot of silence. We wouldn't have talked about any of that. We wouldn't even have the stem. I mean, the not the stamina. We had to complete this, but um, you have to take stops. You know, you have to fill up your water. You just keep doing it. And you know, there will be people who are waiting for you. Um, and um, But that immense relief when it was done, don't even want to talk at that point about it. It's like running a marathon, but you can do it even without being a professional. Just set yourself this goal and you can do it. Anybody can do it. And if I can do it, anybody can do it actually. Fantastic. Callie, thank you so much for, for joining us today. I really Thanks, appreciate it to speak with if you. Any questions, let me know. Mm -hmm. Excellent. I will. Thank you.